All right, fellow fact checkers, want to remind you to go check out our wonderful sponsor, Fox and Sons Coffee. Now, Steve got his start by drinking coffee with his dad on Saturday mornings, and he wanted to carry on that legacy by starting his own coffee company and having something to pass on to his sons that they can carry on. So go over to foxinsons.com and check out Fox and Sons Coffee. And if you use the promo code FCT for fact check this, you get a 10% discount on any order of $20 or more. So please head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and get your day started off with a great, great cup of some incredible coffee. They've got the dark blend and a light blend, and they've even got decaf for those of you who get a little bit jittery. Uh, No one in my audience would ever get jittery. But head over to Fox and Sons Coffee. Check them out. All right. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. All right, Fact Check This Podcast. And as promised, I'm following up on last episode with a episode, Why Do Progressives Support Democrats? Uh, this is a fun one. It's from the Washington Examiner, which you may remember a few weeks ago I had an article from the Washington Examiner. This is actually from a kind of a spinoff of the Washington Examiner called uh, Restoring America, which is pretty good. It's got some good stuff. I mean, it's it is what you would expect. It's a little more uh, okay, it's considerably more right leaning and and more of a MAGA style, but it's good stuff. I mean, it's there are there are also some really good articles uh, explaining why the right should be moving on from Donald Trump. So it's not entirely just like total right wing shill propaganda type stuff. It's some some good writing. So uh, enjoyable site. Highly recommend checking it out, as with anything from the Washington Examiner. Uh, but we're going to jump into the article. It's actually a two parter. So we're going to take we're going to take both of them today. Why do progressives support Democrats? Part one. Did you know that the most important progressive reform ideas of the last half century have not come from the left? They have come from Republican politicians and right of center intellectuals and think tanks. Here's a brief summary. Tax reform. A common refrain from liberal critics is that Republican tax reform bills inevitably mean tax cuts for the rich. But did you know that the U.S. tax system is the most progressive among all developed countries? More than any other developed country, we tax the wealthy far more than poor and middle-income families. We are even more progressive than the social welfare states of Northern Europe. This fact is not controversial. It is accepted by economists of all political persuasions. Moreover, more than half of all households pay no income tax at all. And that's because every Republican tax bill going all the way back to Ronald Reagan threw more and more people off the income tax rolls. Negative income tax. Not only is our tax system more progressive than other countries, but our entire welfare system is also more progressive. That is, we distribute more from the top to the bottom than any other country. Other countries may have more social insurance, but we have more redistribution. One of the most important vehicles for reducing poverty is based on the idea of a negative income tax, proposed by Milton Friedman in 1962. The legislative version, first introduced in 1975, is called the Earned Income Tax Credit, closely related to the Child Tax Credit, created by a Republican Congress in 1997. 
Because of these two measures, by 2018, it was virtually impossible for a working mother to be poor in terms of cash income, even if she earned only the minimum wage. Under the war on poverty, originated by Democrats in the 1960s, healthcare money goes to doctors and hospitals, housing money goes to landlords and developers, and food stamp money goes to agribusiness. Education money goes to school bureaucracies, etc. So what difference does this make? The special interests use their political influence to shape and mold the structure of these programs for their benefit, not for the benefit of low-income families. Studies find that Medicaid enrollees, for example, value their coverage at as little as 20 cents on the dollar. By contrast, every refundable tax credit dollar is worth a dollar. Universal health coverage. Now, this is a fun one. This is this one is really kind of telling, and, and this one I highly recommend using for a, a good talking point whenever you're coming up against leftists who want to talk about how we don't take care of people. Many readers will remember that in the 2008 presidential campaign, Barack Obama promised health reform. After his election victory, we got Obamacare. But do you know that his opponent, the late Senator John McCain, proposed a far more expansive health reform? The Obama exchanges have never included more than 20 million people, but McCain's plan would have directly affected 10 times that number. In a nutshell, McCain proposed to take all the government money currently in the system, all tax and spending subsidies for private health insurance, and give every American a refundable tax credit for health insurance and health care. Obamacare sends money to insurance companies and imposes all kinds of top-down regulation. Instead, McCain's plan would have sent the money to families and let market competition meet their needs. Whereas Obamacare made the government bigger, McCain would have made the government better. See, this is the thing that they talk about with Obamacare. They act like people were being left out. People weren't being allowed to have coverage. And that by imposing Obamacare, that it forced these companies or these insurance companies, it forced these uh, medical industries to allow people to have health care. That's not the case at all. It incentivized the insurance companies to let it incentivized the insurance companies to put people on health care who should probably not have it so that they could rake in money from the government, which added whole extra levels of bureaucracy, added all these extra levels of basically washing the money. Because as I've talked about before, the pharmaceutical and medical lobbies are literally the biggest, by far, not even close in the country. They're the ones who dump the most money into crafting legislation. So if the legislation benefits the insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies and the medical giant that is our, our medical industry, our medical system here in the U.S., the more money that goes into that, the more money they're dumping back into the politicians who are pushing those policies. So you see how it just kind of follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. It all circulates back. Interestingly, when Obama got to the White House, some of his advisors tried to convince him to adopt the McCain strategy. Unfortunately, he had already campaigned on the claim that McCain's approach was too radical. That takes us to part two. Why do progressives support Democrats? Part two. Next, we have school choice. Of the last 50 years, the only public schools that competed for students were magnet schools. 
Those were largely the creation of the federal courts, and their primary purpose was to draw white students from the suburbs back to center city school systems. Excuse me. Since they had to compete with other schools, they had to be good. And just about everyone agrees they are good. So why can't every school be a magnet school? The answer? Teachers unions. If schools had to compete for students, bad teachers would lose their jobs. Bad schools would be forced to close. And because the Democratic Party is so dependent on teachers union support, you will be hard pressed to find a Democratic politician anywhere who supports absolute school choice. The private voucher movement was spurred by a right of center think tank and a few wealthy donors. In time, it blossomed into a lifesaver for thousands of low income, mainly minority children who got the opportunity to escape bad schools and go to better ones. From there, it spread to the public sector, where New York City's charter schools, for example, have produced striking gains for low-income minority students. Today, there are 27 public voucher programs in 16 states and the District of Columbia. Unfortunately, schools participating in voucher programs are hampered by a requirement to admit students based on lotteries almost everywhere. This means that unlike magnet schools, they're not allowed to specialize and ensure that the right student gets into the right school. Instead, they are forced to be all things to all students, just like the public schools. And see, that's 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 the democratic um, equality policy stuff. And instead of allowing schools to teach based on what students are interested in learning or need to learn or would be most beneficial to them. They require this like broad stroke across the board. Everything has to be the same, all things for all people type of school system, which basically just creates a bunch of fucking idiots. I mean, if today's Generation Z is not a striking uh, blow against public schooling and has not like highlighted just how bad and how completely fucking ignorant these schools are pumping kids out as. I, I mean, good Lord, uh, you're not paying attention to the same things that m most uh, sane Americans are. And, and like where it's talking about this, the teachers unions and these inner city schools, they, they push and promote that they're really doing great things for minority students. But when you look at the actual stats on it, and I've talked about this in a number of episodes before, you if you look at the inner city Chicago school systems, inner city New York school systems outside of the charter schools and the magnet schools and stuff like that, if you look at especially like Atlanta or anywhere in the South, the uh, and even in, even in like California, the inner city public schools and like, uh, like L.A. and places like that, and not so much the more like affluent parts of California, but like the the more like normal parts of California, uh, they're pumping out huge, huge graduation rates with anywhere from sixty to eighty percent illiteracy rates, like they tout these impressive graduation rates because they're incentivizing these kids to stay in school because they're not failing them. They're not actually forcing them to learn anything. They're not doing anything for them. And then not only that, 
but they're then using different like grants and scholarship programs or not scholarship programs. It's uh, the financial aid programs, the loan programs. They're utilizing grants and loan programs to get these students who are literally illiterate into college where they have no business being. Even, even if they had gone to like a good school that taught them to read and write, these are probably not people who should be going to college. But college is this thing that they push on everybody. So they're, they're setting them up with $10,000, $20,000 in student debt right off the bat, 19 years old, and you're already saddled with thousands upon thousands of dollars in debt. And they drop out. They flunk out because they literally cannot read and write. The, they're like functionally on a kindergarten to second grade reading level. Like nowhere even remotely close to being eligible for college in, in any way. But they push them through and they get them in because all you have to be is a minority from the inner city and literally any college will let you in for no more reason than you check those two boxes. And so here we are. And this is all Democrat built. This is all Democrat creative. If you want to actually have a progressive program that promotes good education, this is not the way to do it. Private social security accounts. As we entered the 21st century, more than 30 countries had fully or partially privatized their social security system. Some progressives recoil at the word privatization, incorrectly believing that it implies less of a commitment to income security in old age. In fact, forced Savings programs involve just as much coercion as mandatory payroll taxes. For example, Britain has allowed private pensions to substitute for government Social Security for decades, all with the backing of the left of center Labor Party. Similarly, Singapore has always required people to save for their own retirement. It will soon have more than it will soon have more millionaires per capita than any country in the world. Retirees in Chile have much more retirement income than they would have under the pay-as-you-go system, and their funded system is one reason why Chile has the second highest per capita income in all of Latin America. Paul Samuelson once called Social Security a Ponzi scheme that works, except that it doesn't work if each generation doesn't have enough children to pay its benefits in old age. And don't know if you've been paying attention to the news over the last several years or not, but birth rates are way down. And that was even before COVID, birth rates were way down. And now it's like hitting rock bottom. So the the Ponzi scheme that works, it hasn't been working for some time. And there's a lot of very smart people who have been looking at it and saying, hey, this is not going to continue to work. And the the actual solution to that, to actually take care of old people or to take care of people in their old age is to change to a privatized system. That's true, like, humanitarian aid is to do away with the system that we have that is very clearly broken and very clearly on the verge of collapse, probably within the next 20 years, if not sooner, and create a system that's going to actually take care of people. That's that's actual humanitarian aid and progressivism. The freedom to work. According to a Brookings Institution study, nearly 30% of all jobs in this country require a government license. That's up from 5% 
1950. Like the medieval guild systems of the days of old, these regulatory barriers do not appear to be protecting the public. Instead, they protect people already in a profession from competition from new entrants. 21 states, for example, require a license for travel guides. In Nevada, an applicant for this job must put in 733 days of training and shell out $1,500 for the license. Occupational licensing is especially bad for low-income people in both their roles as workers and as consumers. In Capitalism and Freedom, Milton Friedman proposed an alternative, certification. That way, consumers could choose travel agents certified to be qualified by the state, or they could choose less expensive, uncertified guides. So this is all this is all getting at why supporting Democrats is the wrong move for progressives. Now, with that being said, I do not want progressives supporting Republicans. No, thank you. Fuck off kindly. Go start your own thing. Because that's what they are. They are their own thing. See, that's the thing is progressives don't actually want any of this stuff. Like all of these topics here, all of these points that we came across, uh, talking about tax reform, negative income tax, universal health coverage, education, school choice, uh, actually fixing the educational system, uh, private social security accounts to take care of old people. Like these are the actual progressive things to take care of uh, the the poor and the middle class, to take care of um, minority students, to take care of people who have trouble getting a job or have a barrier to entry into a field that they would like to get into. Like, all of these things are progressive to help society move forward, to help progress, to pull people up out of poverty, to equal the playing field. Like these are all progressive ideas, but the, but the left doesn't have any interest in any of that stuff. And progressives themselves don't actually have any interest in any of that stuff. The real progressives, the ones who we're talking about, the ones who support the left, they're not interested in actually helping poor in the middle class. They're interested in pretending that they want to so that they can get votes and they can get your money. They're not actually interested in helping minority students in inner cities. They're not actually interested in helping people who can't get jobs get jobs. They're not actually interested in getting people real education. They are interested in pretending that that's what they want and pretending that that's what they're trying to do so you will give them money. That's it. That's the long and short of it. I'm not saying Republicans are any better, but the Republican policies that we kind of touch on throughout these articles, those would actually be huge steps in the right direction towards real progressive humanitarian aid equaling the playing field and helping people get a leg up that don't otherwise have. And that's the hypocrisy of the left. And there's no point in calling out hypocrisy of the left because they don't fucking care. They will tell you that they're hypocrites and they don't care. It's all about how can we pretend that we're doing the right thing so that you will give us your votes and you will give us your money. 
and nothing else matters. Staying in power is all they care about. They will never care about you. They will never care about the poor person or the middle eight or middle class person or the minority students or the inner city students or that single mom that's just trying to get a leg up and wants to start a boutique, but she can't because of licensing and all this other bullshit. They don't and won't ever care about anybody but themselves and what keeps them pulling the strings to keep all of those people held down. So they can come back and say, hey, look, we've got this and this and this that we're going to do. And these are all going to help you and they're going to make life a lot better. And they never will. They never will. Just start fact checking the uh, the bills that leftists put forward and look at everything that's in them. And look at how much of that actually would go towards helping literally anybody other than bureaucrats and huge corporations and their foreign buddies who will wash that money and send it back to them. That's it. That's all you need to know. Hope that you got something out of this. I had fun doing this episode. I thought it was uh, enjoyable. Hopefully it was for you as well. Uh, be sure to tune in next time. I'm not. I got a I got a handful of articles that I'm still looking at, and I haven't decided which one I want to do yet because I I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by a few of them. And you know what? I, I actually I think I do know. Uh, at least I've got an idea. I think I'm going to do the one from Salon where they talk about why did single women vote for Democrats? Is <laughs> it's pretty funny? I mean, it's it's exactly what you would expect from Salon. Uh, and also we were talking about education in this one. Um, another one is Boston researchers say that masking children in schools can reduce the effects of structural racism. Yeah. So we're going to tackle, uh, we're going to tackle those two, uh, over the next couple episodes. I'm not sure what order they'll go in, but those are going to be the next two that we take on. So if you have thoughts or, uh, questions about those, or like, you want to read the articles and maybe come on with me and have a, have a chat about what's going on in them, hit me up. I'll send them to you. Uh, we can, we can do that. I'm, I enjoy talking to other people about this stuff. It's been kind of fun to read an article and then just kind of give my own thoughts. But I do like talking to other people. So uh, feel free to hit me up and if there's or if you find an article that you want to talk about, then we can talk about what you want to. Please, please. I love feedback and I don't get nearly enough. And the audience has grown significantly over the last couple months. And I really appreciate that. And that's really exciting. But I don't hear from any of you. So by all means, let me know what you think and let me know what I can do better. In the meantime, have a good one, everybody. I will catch you next time. Don't forget to head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check out our longest and most favorite sponsor, Carlos Vanessa Abelar and Paloma Verde CBD. Get all of your CBD needs, and you get 10% off your order of $75 or more, plus anything over $75 is free shipping. So head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com to get all your CBD needs. Have a good week, everybody.